Hey, good morning. If you would, um, let me get rid of the skittles here. Skittles are uh, one of my favorites. If you would, turn in the Bible to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I'll just fix this. And we are fastly approaching the end of Galatians. And like we've been saying, we'll be in 1 Kings after Galatians, after we finish up here. So we're going to be in Galatians 6, 6 to 10 this morning. And just give you some background, some information about what's going on. And this is really his final exhortation about walking being led and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, do good to everyone and especially to those of faith. Now, when we were teaching on the fruits of the Spirit over the last couple of months, we, it, you might have noticed that we, we skipped goodness. And the reason is because he comes back to it here. So let me just read to you Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the house of faith. Let's pray for our time this morning. Father, just praise you that you call your people to, to do good, and then you explain what that looks like in, in the church. Lord, thank you that you've given us your spirit, you've set us aside to be a vessel of goodness, of honor, of glory, to, re to reveal the character, the person of Jesus in how we live. Lord, take your word right now and teach us, train us, mold us, transform us, use it in a powerful way in our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, but now, after proclaiming that salvation is by grace through faith alone, and that you are free now in the Spirit, Paul now says that what we do in this life is sowing or planting, and eternity then is, is the reaping. When, when we were children, my father and my uncle got together and they found a a little cabin on a lake, and they went in on paths together. And we used to go there periodically on the weekends, and we were very different families. My, my dad wanted to go there and work, and my uncle wanted to go there and rest. And so they would achieve these two different things. My dad would be building porches and piers and laying rock walls, and my, my uncle would be taking the boat out. <laughs> you see, you might have gotten a better end of that deal. 
And so they decided to split. My uncle went his way, he bought another cabin down the lake, and, and we had this little cabin. Years later, I was mowing the grass, and one of the things about the grass there, there was always this bluegrass, Kentucky bluegrass that would come out of the yard. And as I was mowing, I was like, what's the deal with this bluegrass? The yard doesn't even need to be mowed except for the bluegrass. And my dad, you can see his, his anger getting stronger and stronger. And he said, that's no weed. 20 years ago, your uncle decided that we needed some grass. And so instead of laying sod and spending the money, he got a bag of bluegrass and just threw a handful of it in the yard, off the porch, and there it is today, still reaping the fruits of his sowing 20 years earlier. And that's how Paul describes our life here in Galatians 6. Paul explains it quite clearly. He says, look, don't be deceived. You reap what you sow. So that the seeds we sow in our lives, they do bear fruit, but not just in this life, but they bear fruits in eternity. And when you hear that, maybe you're thinking, okay, how am I being deceived? Well, most people don't have a harvest mentality of life. Most think that there, there really is no reward of obedience to Christ and, and no punishment for sin. That what you do in this world really does not matter. That we are all good people. Some religious, some not. And we all share in the same eternity regardless of what we've sown in our life. In other words, what we sow really doesn't matter. We're going to all reap the goodness and the grace of God. And Paul says, such a view of life actually mocks God. And the common ending that most hold to is, is actually just self-deception. That there is a God who is the moral governor of the universe. And what is at stake in our sowing in this life, or planting in this life, is actually eternal life. So you might say whether you go to heaven or hell depends in many ways on what you sow in this life. So here's the main idea today, that the sowing, we'll go one more, the sowing is always the father of your reaping. The sowing, your sowing, is always the father of your reaping. Now Paul talks about reaping in three main ways here. And the first one he says is, we are sowing, sorry. He says, we are to sow in the word. So if you look at your Bibles with me in verse 6. Verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now he says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 9 11. I'm going to read that. If we have sown spiritual things amongst you, is it too much if we read material things from you? Okay, so the Jewish faith of the day and, and the pagan faith of the Romans and, and other peoples, nowhere would you find teachers who just relied on voluntary giving. That, that was very much an unknown thing. And so when Paul says in verse 2, back up with me a few verses, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, now he applies it. 
And this is his first major application of that. What does that look like then in the church? Well, to those set apart in the role of teacher, they are to be supported. They are to be cared for voluntarily by the believers. And perhaps he is highlighting this need and bringing this out and applying this because there is such a need for sound teachers. Remember, that's, that's the whole point of this letter is the terrible doctrine that's come in from the Judaizers who are following him and teaching things that are not gospel-centered. So he tells them, tells them, share all things with the one who teaches you. In other words, support them with what you have. Okay, so then who are these teachers in the early church? Well, the word you probably find familiar is katecheo, which is where we get our idea of catechism from. It means to instruct orally, to instruct in the word. In Ephesians, Paul, Paul tells exactly who this is. Let me read to you Ephesians 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry that the body of Christ might be built up. So in the early church, he set people apart as teachers to build up and to equip the body and to really guard them from the very thing that he is writing against in the book of Galatians. Now, what are they teaching? So if you have these teachers in the church, then what are they teaching? Well, this is what Paul describes his teaching as in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross. Notice that. The teaching is the word of the cross, which is the word of God. In other words, the word of God has always been essential in the church. So much so that the church was called in the early stages to actually support men to teach it. There's always been a strong and strongest value upon teaching and proclaiming the Word of God in the church. Philip came up to me at the church, and you can see the fire in his eyes, and he said, Rusty, I want to do something big for Jesus. I said, okay. Something radical. I want to set the world on fire for Christ. Where do I start? I said, well, how about teaching Sunday school to children next semester? And he looked at me like I lost my mind. And he didn't say more, but I know what he was thinking. No, I, I mean something big, something important, not something little like teaching Bible in the church to children. I want to be radical for Jesus. And when Paul says, share what you have with those who teach the word, he's talking about the value of teaching the scripture within the life of the church. And there's three things that we need to think about because of that. First is this. The teaching ministry is vital for the health of the church. Commissioning and setting apart a person or people called to study and to proclaim the truth and the gospel and the life of the church is one of the great ways that the church maintains gospel truth. Second, the church must financially support its teachers. 
And, and I've seen that there are lots of churches who want to do radical things with their finances and they see it. So they do great things for the homeless, they give to great missions, but often they neglect having someone teaching and setting them apart to teach the church. And what ends up always happening is as they focus solely on mission, the health of the church declines and the church itself eventually crumbles. Third is this, when you support the church financially, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Please take hold of that. Where does that come from, Preston? Well, back up to verse 2 with me. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How? Paul says, by supporting the church, you are loving your neighbor in many ways, but one is allowing for them to be fed spiritually and to grow spiritually. Which is what Paul calls bearing each other's burdens. In other words, when you support the local church and invest in teachers and preachers in the church, you're actually bearing the burden of other believers and loving them well. Because you're investing in their spiritual growth and fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to love your neighbor. Here's point two. Sowing is the father of reaping. First, we sow in the word. Second, sowing in eternity. If you look in your Bibles with me at verse 7 and 8, sowing in eternity. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let's stop there. Now, notice what he says. Don't deceive yourself. God is not mocked. Every time Paul uses the word deceived, it refers to eternity. Every time. And he's saying don't be deceived down a bad path. Don't be fooled. Don't be misled. And then he says God is not mocked, which is a very common Jewish Old Testament expression. It means you turn up your nose so that you, you don't even see someone. You pretend like they're, they're not even there. So you have been deceived if you think that you will live a disobedient life, turning up your nose as if God is not there and does not care how you live, and reap eternal salvation and blessings from God. He says that's being de deceived. You will reap what you sow. Then he describes two fields that we sow in. He illustrates what he just said. Look at verse 8 with me in your Bible. He sows to his flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. Now these are two fields he begins to describe. He illustrates it. These two fields are two different lives. First is the believer, the second is the non-believer. And what distinguishes them in these two fields is what is planted in their lives. And eventually what is reaped, what comes out. So the first field, you might call it the field of deception, like the word he just used. This person sows to his flesh. Okay, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, back up to chapter 5, verse 19, he just, he just illustrated, he just told us exactly what that means. Works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. He says if those are the things that are planted in your life and there is no repentance, then you will reap corruption, future tense, final punishment, final judgment, and the punishment of God is what he's talking about here. For those who live and plant and live in the flesh. That's one field. And that is in opposition to the believer. Verse 8. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here's the second field. Sowing in the Spirit. It means that the Spirit itself really is the field of our lives that the Christian works in to produce a harvest. And the Spirit takes what's sown and He produces the fruits that glorify God. And he says that reaps eternal life. So the person who walks and is led and lives in the Spirit because he's a believer, the harvest is eternal life. Now you might be thinking, okay, Rusty, how is that not a works-based salvation? Sowing equals salvation. So if I sow and do good things, then I'm saved and I will be saved. That's not what Paul said. Faith alone saves, but real faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by the Spirit's presence and His fruits in our life. And it is this fruit that shows our faith is genuine and results in an eternal reward. Several years ago, I was pastoring a church, and there were several young college girls that came in. And I took the group of them to lunch one day, and they'd been there for some time. One of the girls opened up to me, and she said, you know, I've decided I'm not a Christian any longer, and I will no longer be attending church. And I said, well, what? why is that? She said, because I don't believe in a God that can send people to hell. That seems unfair, unjust. That's not the God that I worship, a God of love. Now, I often hear things like that. How can you reconcile a loving God and a God who would send people to hell because of what they've done? And I usually respond with a question, something like this. Well, do you think that someone like Hitler should be punished? And the response is, well, of course we do. Certainly God would punish the wickedness of Hitler for everything he's done. Then here we have a problem. If there is no hell and there is no judgment, like this verse talks about, then there is no ultimate right or wrong. Good will not triumph over evil. Good will be unrewarded and evil will go unpunished. So the serial killer and the tiny baby, the child molester and the kind old lady, will all receive the same thing. And there will be no ultimate justice for the wicked or blessings for the good. In other words, it doesn't matter what you sow in your life, for you will reap God's blessings if there is no judgment. The truth is, inwardly most people believe and actually desire and long for the judgments of God. They agree that it is right for God to punish people like Hitler. Those they perceive to be really evil. The problem is, 
no one sees themselves is really sinful. As deserving of God's punishment. They don't understand the sin of their own hearts. And Paul is saying, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. What you sow in this life will bear fruit for eternity. Sowing is the father of reaping. Here's the third thing. We'll finish it. So with endurance. Verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of God. Notice, do good while you have opportunity. So he continues the farming idea here, so, right? Not every season is right for planting. I planted a lot of stuff in the summer and it just dies. A good farmer will work late in the night when it is the right season to sow, to plant. Your life, and this life that God has given you, is the time of sowing. You are in a season of planting, is what Paul is saying. Now is that season. Now is the opportunity. While you're alive, do good to others, and especially to the household of God. Now, the difficulty, it feels like it's a very long season. Look what he says. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. People struggle persevering in most anything. So the working person gets tired and exhausted of working every day. The person who's retired gets exhausted of sitting on the couch and being retired or doing whatever they're doing in their retired life. When we come to Christ, often there's a, a, a new excitement to serve God's people. We want to teach Sunday school. We want to sign up for the nursery. We want to be generous in our money. We want to invest in missionaries. We want to do good through the Spirit's power. We want to plant seeds all over the place. And what he's saying is, don't give up. Persevere. Continue to do what God says is good. And then he gives the final motivation. In due season we will reap. Those who persevere in Christ and the fruits of goodness that show that they're in Christ, they will reap eternal life in Christ. Florence Chadwick, the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions, tell another story of a challenge that she had. On the 4th of July, 1951, she attempted to swim from the Catalina Islands to the California coast. And the challenge was not so much the distance, but the challenge was the freezing water of the Pacific and being in that water for 15 hours. And the problem was there were giant fogs that were set in so that she could not see where she was going. A half a mile from the coast, she quit. And this is what she said later to the reporter. I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I might have made it. Not long afterwards, she attempted to feed again. And this time, she finished. And she remarked that it was knowing that land was there and keeping her eyes on what was in front of her 
enabled her to persevere. Listen, in persevering in the faith, there's three things that we want to close with. First is this. It is long. The race of faith is long. In fact, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we are called here to run with endurance. That means daily. Second, you will meet with difficulties, oppositions, and temptations in the race. What the Bible says before us is not if you have faith, your life will be peachy and wealthy, but by faith you will endure, because by faith the Spirit of Christ is in you. But there will be trials. And third, that these difficulties will discourage you to quit the good and embrace the bad. Now, how did Jesus endure such difficulties? Let me read to you what was in front of him. Verse 2. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Notice this. Jesus persevered in the good the Father set before him, which namely was redeeming you. Going to the cross drinking the judgment, and then the resurrection and the ascension. He persevered in that good, he says, because of the joy that was set before him. And what Paul sets before us here is eternity. And his warning to all people is, you will reap what you sow. And so for all believers who have sown faith in Christ in their life, and they are trusting in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ to save them. They have repented to the Lord of their sins. And because the Spirit's in them, they continue to persevere and to sow or plant goodness in the church and in other people's lives. He says the reward is eternity with Christ. Eternal salvation, eternal joy set before us. And then there's a warning. To those who reap to the flesh, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. There will be a day of judgment and a day of justice for all things. Father, um, we want to be men and women who sow in the Spirit or who walk in the Spirit. Father, and I pray right now that your Spirit would give us the ability to do that. And we thank you for Christ who finished the race because of the joy set before him. Lord, and you set before us eternity with you. You've given us the Spirit, and we praise you for these things. Grace curse you. In Christ's name. Stand together again, and we'll close by singing the Dom Silence together.